If you would please open your Bible to Hebrews chapter number 10 as we begin today. This whole book is a very long and um, and connected argumentation uh, for the idea that everything is about Jesus. Jesus is the climax of all of history and all of the planning, all of the symbolism, all of the things that God's been working on since the foundation of the world. And he came the first time to die for sin, to be the once-for-all atoning sacrifice for the sins of anyone and everyone that would put their faith in him as the Mashiach, as the Messiah, as the Christos, as the Christ, as the atoning Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The next time he comes, he will come as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to redeem the bodies of all of those of the faith. Uh, The dead in Christ will be resurrected into their brand new bodies. The living in Christ will be transformed into their new bodies. And then we'll be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Now, in writing about this, uh, the author of Hebrews uh, is basically saying that Jesus did all of his work in the real environment of salvation, that is, in the heavenly realms, Uh, and that everything here on earth, everything here on earth was a symbol of what he was going to do, that these are mere copies of the real things that are in the heavenly realm. Uh, And so now in chapter number 10, he's going to continue down that path and reinforce that teaching. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. So now he says, the Mosaic law given to Moses by God through the agency of angels, apparently, that was just a shadow of the more significant plan that is fulfilled in Jesus. Now, what is a shadow? A shadow is something without substance that represents something that is substance. So, if I stand... Uh, where my where the sun is shining against my body, it can cast a shadow on the wall. The shadow is not real. I mean, it's it exists, but it's not the real me. The real me is what's causing the shadow. And so what happens is um, the eternal light of God, shines into history 
past the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection, and it cast these intriguing shadows in the Old Testament, in the Mosaic law, in the tabernacle, in the ceremonies, in the animal sacrifice system. But the shadow is not the substance. It, never in, it was never intended to be. And so you would be really silly if you came up to that wall that I described a while ago and tried to hug the shadow if you were excited about seeing me, because that's not me. That's my shadow. If you really want the relationship, you got to hug me. Got to greet me. And so that's the same thing that we're trying to get communicated through this letter, through this book, is that the the Jewish people in particular that are receiving this need to embrace and hold on to Jesus, not onto the shadows that he cast into the old covenant system. Okay, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices uh, that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Uh, Now, he's thinking again about Yom Kippur in particular. Yom Kippur happens in the fall. Uh, It is the 10th day of the seventh Jewish month. Uh, and it precedes by just five days uh, the beginning of Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, It is the only holy day that is specifically intended to be a, a day of absolute reflection. It was a day of mandatory fasting and mandatory refraining from work. And what you were supposed to do was consider the fact that only through the work in God's tabernacle, only through the work in God's temple, can one hope to be saved. Uh, And anyone who did not resort to those things would be responsible for their own sins, meaning they would have to die because they weren't using uh, the tabernacle or the temple. And uh, some people have described the day of Yom Kippur as almost like a recharging ceremony uh, for the tabernacle or the temple itself because it's been used for an entire year in the sacrificial systems, and so it needs to be refreshed. I wouldn't describe it that way. I would describe it's kind of a reminder year by year to the Jewish people that you have to keep coming back here because God says you need to keep coming back here until he comes up with the the permanent solution, until he presents to you the permanent solution for your sin. So it would be analogous, if you're going to try to make it uh, connected to something we would um, um, relate to, Uh, to the fact that we pay monthly payments on our credit accounts, our credit cards or mortgages, whatever it is. And so every month we keep current with that 
as a reminder, I still owe this debt. The only way that we can get past that monthly ceremony of acknowledging our debt is to have the debt completely paid off. And then we don't need to be doing a monthly payment anymore. We're done. And so that's the deal here. The animal sacrificial system that started with Adam and Eve and continued up to the time when Moses gave the Israeli people very specific instructions regarding the tabernacle, that system was basically the the Yom Kippur ceremony was basically the annual payment of the interest on the debt. It was keeping current. And what they were looking forward to was eventually God was going to pay that debt off completely. Now, that's interesting because Jesus actually says uh, on the cross... Uh, the Greek phrase, or it's actually a single word, to telestai, uh, which is translated in our English Bibles as it is finished. Uh, and technically, that is what the word means, but it also was used as what was written on uh, instruments of indebtedness, mortgages and things of that nature, once it was paid off. Uh, the the person who had been paid would write on there to telestai, which was effectively paid in full. And then they'd give the thing to the person that had owed the debt, and then they would do with it whatever they wished. Um, Jesus is the one who paid our debt at the cross. And he states that by his, his comment, it is finished. Uh, Up to that point, Yom Kippur was an annual ceremony amongst the Jews to remind you the debt's still in place, keep paying the interest payment. Stay um, current with God uh, and wait for the payment. All right, so here, let's read it again, verse number one in that that sense. Um, Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who are drawn near, or those who draw near. The word perfect there is the same word that Jesus said from the cross. So in effect, our writer here is basically saying, cannot pay off the debt of those who draw near, not in full. So the annual Yom Kippur ceremony, while important to keep current, could not pay off the debt. Verse 2, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? And the answer is, that is correct. Uh, Once your mortgage is paid off, You don't sit down and write out a mortgage check every month, do you? Or your car payment, or or your school loans, or whatever it is. Once the debt is paid off, the ceremony of sitting down and writing a check or doing an e-payment to the account that you owe 
that ceremony is done. It's finished. And so Yom Kippur will be done once the payment is paid in full, which it was in April of AD 33 when Jesus says, it is finished. Back to our text, verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. But it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Talked about this last session. Uh, animals, as cute as they are, as wonderful as they are, as uh, they are God's creation, they were not made in the image and likeness of God. And so because of that, they are not equal to us human beings. Their death, while it can be a symbolic substitute for our death, cannot be a perfect substitute because it's not a one-for-one thing. It took the death of a human being, Jesus, in order for my sin to be paid for, your sin to be paid for. But it also took the death of a, of a God, a God-man, so that that sacrifice, once for all, could be applied to multiple people throughout time at the exact same moment in history. And so Jesus, Jesus' death was the perfect sacrifice. Verse number five, consequently then, when Christ came into the world, he said, and we have here a prophetic quote from uh, Psalm 40, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Now, this can be misunderstood if you don't really think through this with other passages of the Old Testament. Uh, One of the best, I think, uh, is the one that's related to uh, when Saul uh, decided on his own that he would disobey the original commandment that he was supposed to go out and kill all of the Amalekites as an execution order from God because of things that they had done, uh, atrocities that they had committed. Uh, And he was also supposed to execute all the animals uh, that belonged to the Amalekites. Nothing was supposed to come back. Nothing. And uh, he, Saul... Uh, in his own uh, head, decided, well, that seems to be a waste. And so he, he followed through with executing all the Amalekites he could catch, uh, but he brought back all the spoil, all of the sheep, all the goats, all, well, the best, I should say, of the sheep and the goats and the cows. And then he started offering sacrifices with them. And um, God tells Samuel he has to go and chew him out. And uh, Samuel shows up, 
and he's clearly upset, and Saul wants to know what in the world's going on here, and he says, I've obeyed, I've done anything I was told. And Samuel's response was, then what is all this bleeding, all of this mooing that I hear? God told you to destroy everything. And Saul's response was, well, but the people, the people wanted to offer sacrifices, and I thought it would be best, you know, to to do these good things for God. And then comes the money quote. Ready? Samuel said, to obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. That's what the Hebrew writer is gleaning for us out of Psalm 40 is that God was not looking for animal sacrifices. God was not looking for all of these bulls and goats and and sheep and whatever else to be sacrificed. What he really wanted was the restoration of relationship between himself, a holy God, and those made in his image and likeness that had become unholy. And so Jesus, in the prophetic psalm here, is represented as saying this, verse 7, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So Jesus volunteered. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus volunteered to be the sacrifice for sin for those that needed to come back. Verse number eight, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. And they were. But that's not what God really wanted, was it? It was a symbol that was put in place to prepare the people for what God really wanted. And that was a restoration of relationship when Jesus would die for sin and make it possible for us to really be forgiven. Verse number 9 And then he added, Behold, I've come to do your will. So he does away with the first, meaning the sacrificial system, in order to establish the second. Jesus doing the will of God and fulfilling his name. Remember, Jesus' name in in Hebrew, the formal name is Yehoshua which means, literally, he who is salvation. So the first covenant, done away with. The first sacrificial system, which is symbolic, done away with. Because Jesus came on the scene and established the new covenant, the real covenant, the effective covenant, by dying and rising again. Verse 10. 
by the will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So Jesus came and did the will of his Father by offering himself as that one-time sacrifice for the sins of anyone and everyone that wanted to come back into relationship with God the Father. That's the core of the gospel, folks. Verse 11. Every priest, we're thinking about Jewish priests again, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So this was understood. Uh, When they offered those animal sacrifices, a good Jewish priest would understand this sacrifice is not an equivalent for the human that is offering it. There is something bigger coming down the pike somewhere. They did not understand how that was going to work, They just trusted that it would. Verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time, you notice how that keeps getting emphasized here? When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That's where we found him. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 3. That when he had made atonement for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. So, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Uh, That's uh, uh, another quote that we were looking at uh, out of the book of Psalms. For by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Again, see that word perfected there? The idea is debt paid. For he has paid the debt for all times for those who are being sanctified, being made holy. And then he offers some uh, more scriptural um, weight to this argument, this uh, this explanation. Verse 15, the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, and then we have a quote uh, from um, Jeremiah 31 again, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. So you remember? In the new covenant, God was going to go straight to the heart. He was going to deal with the individual in a way that would be impactful. Then he adds, uh, more quote from Jeremiah 31, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So we need the real connection to the real sacrifice And that will result in real conviction that we are forgiven. Verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. None of us who have come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior 
should be worried about needing supplementary sacrifices. Jesus paid it all. He paid it once for all. And we just need to stick with Jesus. That's the point of the book. Stick with Jesus. And we've actually come to that climactic point in the book that I think everything's been driving toward. And I love this section, and we've only got about a little less than three minutes to get started on it. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So confidence is the freedom of speech. It is is feeling like I can say these things because I know they're true. So we've got that sort of confidence to enter into the very presence of God through Jesus' death and resurrection. Remember the holy places on planet Earth. That was the holy place where the priests did their work and the holy of holies where uh, once a year the Yom Kippur ceremony took place, where the Ark of the Covenant was located. Those are only a shadow of the real deal. The real deal is God's holy throne room, his eternal presence. So we have the confidence to enter into that place. Verse 20, by the new and living way that he, Jesus, opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. So Jesus came, took on human flesh from conception onward. He was tempted in every way like unto ourselves, but he was perfect. He never sinned. And then he laid down his life as an atoning sacrifice for sin. And you know, and this is where we're going to kind of wrap up today with this reminder. On the day of the crucifixion, Jesus died after saying, it is finished, it is paid in full, the debt has been erased. Shortly after that, just moments after he said that phrase, that term, he gave up his life, he died. And the temple curtain that divided the holy place from the most holy place, the the tent curtain that represented a barrier between God and man brought on by sin. That curtain of dividing was ripped from top to bottom by God and flung aside so that this new way of forgiveness was symbolized. That through embracing Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, as your High Priest, you now have the right to approach the very throne of the Creator God Himself, and you will be sinless in that approach.